0: Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On this edition we've taken a couple of questions from our listeners and we're going to discuss them and here to discuss those questions with me, first of all, is Simon. How are you there
1: in Colombia, Simon? Good, good, very good. Uh, had an enjoyable podcast about some women's football and now we're going to get into some men's football so all is good here in Colombia. And back again for this podcast
0: is Tom. Haven't spoken to you for a while, Tom. How are you?
2: Yeah, I've, I've missed you, Adam. It's, uh, it's been emotional, but, you know, like like London buses, you wait around for one and then, and then two come along at once. So, yeah, enjoying it. <laughs>
0: Indeed. And brought in from the cold after, after missing the, the previous podcast is, is Austin Miller. How are you? Are you all warmed up, Austin?
3: I think so. We'll see if we pull any muscles here. A late substitution off the bench. And I don't believe my manager has given me much of a tactical plan here. So I'm just going to run out and see if I can make things happen in the midfield. See how it goes. I have actually had the opportunity to talk to Tom quite a bit since he's been on the last South American football show. So uh, I am not starved of, of his bad puns. I, I've gotten plenty of them.
0: Well, if you, if you don't know what you're doing by now, then you don't deserve to be in the team. That sounds fair. Sounds
3: fair. <laughs> I can make it
2: happen. 15 minutes and I'll change this match. I'm sure that pre-pod donut won't slow you down either. There were multiple. Let's just say there were multiple, not just one. <laughs> All
0: consumed in your star-spangled banner boxer shorts as well, I'm sure.
3: Right. Yes, that's me. The epitome of American patriotism, <laughs> as as I'm sure you know.
0: Okay. Well, the, the the main question we've had this week um, is from a listener, Daniel. I'm not sure what his surname is, but he quite often emails me and give, gives us feedback on, on our show. He's a big fan of the show. And his is on Argentine and Uruguayan coaches. And I'm going to read the email word for word as it's so well put. He says... I'm curious if the pod experts can talk a little bit about the reasons why so few coaches in South America tend to work outside their home countries, other than Argentines and Uruguayans. What is it about football culture and co- coach training in Argentina and Uruguay that so many coaches from those two countries take coaching jobs around the continent? But we don't see the same mobility among coaches from other South American countries. There's a part two as well. We'll come on to that later. Um, but first, I'm going to go over to Tom and get his thoughts on, on why this is. Yes,
2: yeah, it's, it's a, a really interesting question and, and one that I've, I've, I've never really given too much thought to. But um, you certainly notice Argentinians and Uruguayans popping up all over the place. And for me, I think a lot of it's got to do with these two countries being really... Historical, especially within the context of of South America, like real pioneers in in the global game, as it were, with you know those early Olympic wins for Uruguay and and the, and the first couple of World Cups as well. So I, th- I think that's always given them a really high stock within South America and the other nations that maybe developed a little bit later to kind of look to them to to bring the sort of tactical side of the game. Uh, to them, I think another interesting, well, potentially interesting. I'll see what you guys think. Um, is Argentina for me is a nation of, of thinkers and and therapy is like a really important role in society. I think Argentina's got more psychologists per capita than than anywhere else in the, in the world. So maybe there's something on a societal level that that sees them contemplate and uh, and discuss things in. in in a more in intellectual way and, and bring that into the football um, as well. They've got the coffee shop culture there, haven't they? Which, which you don't exactly, get yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, if it, just looking purely at Argentina, there's kind of a, a main, I don't know, schism between two different coaching schools which are sort of crystallized in, in the in the two World Cup winning managers of Minotti and Bilardo. Minotti way more about style, whereas Bilardo is all about results. Um, so I think there's a there's a lot of kind of tactical discussion about whether coaches fit into one of those roles. You've also got Bielsa as being very influential obviously on on people like Guardiola but also a lot of the successful Argentinians managing in Europe right now, like Pochettino, Paoli. So yeah, I th- I th- those are some of the things I would say. I think also maybe just because Argentinians, certainly to begin with, were were some of the f- first players to go and play in Europe and and sort of more established players um, over, over there and, and they've picked up new experiences and ideas and, and have a higher profile. I think that's why certainly... And we're looking outside of south america they're they're probably the ones who who get the European jobs more easily than nations that are maybe relatively newer to exporting their their players and and maybe we'll see in twenty thirty years more more Colombian chilean um ecuadorian managers start to make the move across but yeah I mean those were my thoughts I don't know if uh what what you guys thought about that
0: I think the fact that Argentina and Uruguay export just so many football players. By doing that, I think the fact that they travel, you know, to various places around the world, picking up ideas and probably taking those ideas, and then all of that ends up in their head. And you know, when they're finished playing, I think they're in such a good position to then go into um, a coaching role. And I and I think that's I, th- I think that's probably something to do with it as well. But, the fact that they're, they're so, such great exporters of, of footballing talent and, and the ability to sort of gain knowledge from the various places they end up. Simon, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, Colombia has uh, a history of, of, of connection with Argentine football. Um, I think in terms of you know, uh, Colombian football and coaching, um it's there's some big issues uh and one is i think this will be common across the continent um well particularly in brazil but be interesting to hear but the turnover of coaches is very very high um it, you know as soon as there's a problem the the board will want to deflect uh, attention and, and make a change and as i said you know, as i was saying before the pod just before since the end of last season there's been 11 managerial changes in colombia so in six months 11 managers have changed um and often we have in colombia the same guys come back to the sets of clubs so they fail, or they disappear for a year, the club sacks the manager, kind of a knee-jerk reaction to poor results and they've got no manager, well let's get that, we've got that bloke's number in the phone, give him a call, let's get him back in for another six months and then we'll, we'll change and work it out. So long-term planning, I think, from the clubs is one of the issues. Um, another issue in terms of Colombian coaches not necessarily um, being the greatest, I think Either the coach is, is older and has been around and had 15 different jobs and, and done well once in 1984 and has put that atop of his CV and, and got repeated jobs since. Or they're young and they're often youth coaches. I mean, the focus on youth development in Colombia is, is massive, which is a good thing. But in terms of professional coaches and, and tacticians, Sometimes that's where things kind of fall down a little bit. You know, there have been some good coaches coming through Colombia, but uh, in terms of a culture of of tactical analysis, kind of looking to you know the Italian academic style of, of approach, no, I, I think it's been somewhat lacking. I think the short termism in Latin America in general is an issue. Um, and I think Colombia is no different in that regard. Um, I think in some innovations and developments have been welcome. I think ten years ago, every single team was completely built around a number ten, <laughs> and uh, everyone knows my penchant for a number ten. But uh, I think that was an issue that t- often teams relied on one player too much. Now there's a good history of tactical development in Colombia. You know, you look at. The, the Colombian national team with a 1990 1994 possession based sweeper goalkeeper who was involved in the play, you know, some short, sharp passing in midfield, and that's still there. But I think while the overall culture of football in Colombia is is tactically in a good place, I think the implementation can be a bit short sighted by coaches who've been around the block 10 times and, you know, maybe not fulfilled a potential or developed tactically. There are some interesting coaches. I think um, Osorio, um, Mexico, maybe have mixed feelings about him, um, but uh, he did some really, really interesting things at National. So, and he also has the the background of coaching, you know, working in England as well, and having that that influence and taking his badges very seriously. So he's one to watch, I think. He did some really interesting things in terms of having playing with a sweeper. They had uh, Alex Mejia, who would drop into defence and swap places with Medina, Medina, they would swap, and there was a lot of interchange and a lot of tactical, interesting things. But the issue is, he was only able to implement that because he won the championship. He, his team was struggling in terms of results, and he was on the verge of being sacked when he snuck his way through a few late goals and and he won the title through the playoffs despite having a not the best season and that gave him the the cachet to then make some changes and have a bit more security which led to the eventually led to the 2016 Copa Libertadores win as his successor built upon those developments so the issue is these coaches who failed will come back and they'll fail again um, and often it's just a deflection tactic by the directors to keep the fans quiet. Look, we're doing something. We've changed the manager for the third time this year. This one will work out if it doesn't blame him. So I think that's the main issue um, in terms of the coffee culture. There's a million hours of radio discussions about football, but in terms of looking at innovations, in terms of giving people the materials they need to be able to develop something new, I think that's, that's lacking. So while Colombia does a lot of things, right, in terms of youth development and, and moving them into the first team and then developing youth players I think that is the focus sometimes too much and there's not enough tactical development and there's not enough innovation in regards to what actually happens when we get to the first team so I think that's some of the issues in Colombia
0: okay well just thinking more on the because I suspect we might talk quite a bit about the Argentina side of this question but just thinking here one of the great kind of influences on 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 Chile um before Bielsa came along, was Nelson Acosta. And he, he's an example of, again, a Uruguayan player who moved abroad to get, to get time playing professionally. He played for various clubs here in Chile towards the end of his career. And when he finished his playing career, he naturally went into coaching. Um, so I think yeah, that leads back to my point, you know the fact that Uruguay and Argentina players travel a lot to get their professional careers underway, because you yeah, there's only a certain amount of professional teams in those countries which can fit and their, and their talent is good enough to to take them anywhere. know yeah, that naturally leads to more mobility in in their coaching careers as well. And in the case of Nelson Acosta, of course,, yeah, he ended up becoming national team manager as well. And one, one thing that Chilean sides had lacked um, before he came along was organisation. And I think that's kind of the, the thing we associate with Uruguayan teams. They're well known for being well organised offensively. Um, so if you want your national team or your club team to become more organised, then kind of traditionally your look to Uruguay maybe uh, or a Uruguayan to do that.
2: Exactly, because the, I think the thing about Uruguayans is they they can be very pragmatic and organised when it comes to football because they're a country of such small resources, population-wise, that they kind of have to make do with with what they've got in many respects. Um, so I think that does definitely lends to that that style of football of of you know working with the resources you've got and and making the best out of them. Um, I think it's really interesting that point you make about export of talent. And and this, that kind of leads me on to, to the question of Brazil for again, a country that exports a huge amount of talent. It's weird that they haven't really exported that coaching talent. Why, Why do you think that is Austin?
3: Yeah, it was interesting. I was listening to you guys make the argument for why Argentina has, you know, this sort of influence on South American football. And The argument could really be made the exact same for brazil you know one of the historical powers on the continent uh this kind of mythical brazilian style of football you know this samba fuchi ball but that's not the case with brazilian managers brazil exports tons and tons of players but to be honest not a lot of those actually go to south america Um, if you think about the rest of the continent Really, the only even semi-high-profile Brazilian I can think of playing somewhere else is Rafael Vas at La and it's not like he's a very high-quality Brazilian. Uh, there are Brazilians on some of the lesser teams in Bolivia and, and some of the smaller places, but it's not as though there are big Brazilian players being brought into these squads. And it's the same way with managers. Um, only one Brazilian is managing a team outside of Brazil in the Copa Libertadores. That's Vinicius Urotropio Tropio at Bolivar, and he just got that job. Uh, There's some Brazilians managing smaller sides. But, yeah, even in in Europe, there's tons of Brazilian footballers, but very, very few Brazilian managers. Um, Some of that is, I think, just the lack of effectiveness of Brazilian managers when they've been given those opportunities. They haven't been doing very well. Um, And some of it is I think there's a a lack of kind of that trust being shown in Brazil to foreign managers. And so especially in South America, I think that – kind of tends to mean a lack of trust in Brazilian managers then. You've also obviously got a language barrier in some cases. Portuguese and Spanish, while similar, are fundamentally not the same, obviously. Uh, and So while a majority of Brazilian players and managers can probably speak Spanish and get by, I think that's something to at least note. But yeah, it it is odd. Um, Honestly, the biggest reason is I just don't think very many Brazilian managers are that good. Uh, there's been talk that Cheats, when he's done with the Brazilian national team, could manage in Europe. Um, I think he would be fairly successful uh, in the right situation, but outside of that, it's it's hard to think of a, of a Brazilian manager right now who could really cut it at, at a higher level. Um, there are some intriguing younger managers, but it, it's not as though Brazil is just bursting forth with managerial talent. and that's been enough to kind of put all of the the rest of South America and really the rest of the world kind of off the idea of having a Brazilian manager yeah I think it's so
0: important uh, for those first kind of trial blazers and and to leave a legacy so what we've seen in the history of football is plenty of especially Argentine managers going to various places and doing great things and leaving a legacy there which leaves the reputation of argentinian coaches you know high where you know we just haven't seen that from from brazilian coaches and you know one example i can think of is perhaps the most famous one was when eh uh, luxemburgo uh, went to real madrid um, and you know he he was a, he was a complete flop so I think that I, th- I think that kind of success or failure from a ho- high-profile name that that can do either you know great things for the reputation of the other countries exporting of coaches or it can damage it completely. No, Tom?
2: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, and that I think that is the the perfect example when it comes to Brazilians in Europe. And going back to what Austin said about Cheech, I think of all the Brazilian managers, he is the one who has kind of gone out to Europe gone around different clubs studied their game and and look to kind of look out of brazil um i can't remember who i was reading it i mean it was probably someone like tim vickery but i think he often talks about there's a lot of navel gazing in brazil you know i don't know whether that's a, a perceived or justified sense of superiority for how good their players are therefore kind of makes them think well you know we can we can sort out the issues here in our own country rather than having to look to import foreign managers to, to tell us, you know, the the greatest nation, nation to play the game, um, how how we should be playing football. So I don't know if there's some of that, but, and also the language point I think was quite interesting as well. So yeah, ho- hopefully we'll see uh, a, a newer generation of Brazilian managers coming through. I think um, there, are, there are some interesting ones that could potentially buck that trend but i i think it's about being open to new those new experiences and once one come and comes and does well that often opens the opens the doors for uh, for others to follow
0: but cheech is cheech is the perfect example of a of a coach and in this case he's a brazilian coach but he he's a he's a he's a coach that's been open to new ideas so in this kind of modern world where we're a lot more interconnected, it's going to be fascinating to see just how, how many more Brazilian coaches perhaps are more open to ideas from from outside of Brazil.
3: Yeah, and Adam, that's something that Rogério Senne did um in his year between retirement and getting the Sao Paulo job, he went to Europe and and learned under managers and watched teams train. And then he got the Sao Paulo job and he brought in two Europeans to be his assistant managers. Of course, the Englishman, Michael Beale, and then, and then a a Frenchman, Charles of And it didn't work out for Rogerio Senni. But I don't think that's necessarily an indictment on him as a manager. More just the situation that he was thrusted. It was never going to work out at that São Paulo club yeah. for him as a club legend. I think that was a mistake. But you look at what he's doing now with a second division club in Fortaleza, and they've started the Brasileirão Série B Be- in really good form. And I think uh, José Osseti has kind of shown. But, okay, this guy can be a good manager. It's just that first situation was just a terrible situation that he allowed himself to be put into. Yeah. He should have never taken that job. Yeah,
0: it was, it was too big of a job. That that situation reminded me a great deal of uh, Sebastian Becaseci, who took the, one of us the, that the Chile job as his first job in management. You know, Secchi had been a really successful number two with Sampioli. And... He was also kind of legend because he he was there for their Copa Sudamericana triumphs and their and their famous title wins here in Chile as well. Um, so yeah, you know, there was great expectation amongst the uh, Lulu fans when when he returned, and he was a yeah he was a complete disaster. Although he won one of his first matches, seven or eight nil against O'Higgins, it, it was all down it was all downhill from there, um, and 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 the squad just kind of fell apart in the end as well the dressing room became a became split um, but what was interesting was he went he went to argentina he went back to his homeland and he got a job with uh, defense and Justicia, a small team in argentina yep. and he 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 made them into a very competitive club and it, and it was his side in the copa sudamericana last year that knocked out uh, Rogério Seni's side in that competition, and perhaps helped cost him his job. So you know, and so it's it's funny how these things kind of come round, though. No?
2: Yeah, and I think Becca Sese is a, a really interesting example of kind of um, a young Argentinian manager to maybe look out for. I think he's. He's, he's now linked up with Pauli and is mainly in charge of the under-20s. Under um, but yeah, at Defensa y e Justicia are, are really interesting clubs in terms of watching out for young managers. Um, obviously, Beccasese did very well there and um, sort of saved his reputation a bit. But they've also um, appointed in the past Ariel Holland, who's now the Independiente manager and has done very well with them. They've had some other interesting managers in the past as well, such... Uh, as let me just remember <laughs> off the top of my head um well their current manager is very good Voivola, has had a really impressive season in in the super uh, super league and i think they're in line for another surprise Su- Su- americano appearance um and they've also had jorge almeron in the past diego coca so they've proven a really interesting club at good breeding ground for for coaches it seems
0: no? because a lot of those coaches you mentioned are now favorites for various jobs around the continent no or or actually managing around the continent
2: yeah and I think that comes on to the second part of uh, the question no yeah and, and and that second part of the question was which current
0: coaches in South America does the panel think could develop a successful career in Europe
2: so yeah um on, on that link I mean we've already mentioned probably about three of them, in Holland, who's, who's uh, a really nice attacking manager who's got kind of a background in, in hockey, actually. I think he was one of the Argentinian hockey coaches. So he's kind of bringing ideas from different sports, um, and he plays a very attractive style. He's won the Sudamericana with Independiente now, and they're certainly uh, one of the best teams and most interesting tactically to watch in, uh, in Argentina right now. Um, voivoda at defensive Justicio, who I mentioned as well is is another one who's kind of kind of come from nowhere and done very well and and Jorge Almirón um, who obviously won. The title, the Argentinian title with Lanús, and got to the Libertadores final, and is now up in Colombia with Atlético Nacional.
1: Yeah, and on the on on Almiron, um there's also very strong links with uh, Celta Vigo. They actually met, they actually came to Medellin this week. They attended the last game. Uh, he won't be able to manage in Spain until he's been a first team coach for five years, I believe, as the rule. So there's still some questions, and also he has a contract which kind of locks him down for two years. But I believe the release is $500,000. So Celta Vigo are very, very interested in Jorge Almiron, which would be a massive blow for Nacional. Um, But they're trying to get him out of his contract and get him over there to coach in in the Spanish La Liga uh, for the next season. So he's been very, very good with uh, with Nacional and obviously had a really good time in, in Lanús as well. Uh, in terms of Colombia, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Bossorio. I mentioned him earlier. Um, again, he's very particular. He has some very clear ideas and is, is quite fixed in terms of what he thinks. But I think he's a very intelligent guy. As I mentioned, had a bit of coaching experience in Europe, has, has worked in the US. He's one of those who's been around and really done things in the right way. Just to quickly go back, I mean, we mentioned how Brazilian players have, have been exported a lot and, and that hasn't necessarily resulted in... Than becoming the kind of international-minded coaches, as is the case with Argentina and Uruguay, I think that is an important aspect, and I think that's something as well. Colombia may, may be a reason for one of the re- for why Colombia doesn't have that that quality of coaches. If we look back to the 1990, 1994 and that period. In 1980s, a lot of the best Colombian players stayed in Colombia the, because of drug money, because of different reasons. But the Colombian league was rich, so the players didn't move abroad. And then we look into the 1990s, 1990, 1994. The likes of Valderrama did play briefly in Europe, um, but didn't really make a massive impact. That whole generation of extremely talented players, Aspria, Valderrama, uh, none of them were really coaches. And you could really tell they weren't <laughs> that serious in terms of potential coaching. The only one of that group is, who's done really well is Lionel Alvarez who was the tenacious midfielder who's done very well. But I think part of it is um, Colombian players for a long time didn't really play abroad. And even into the 2000s, there were maybe 20, 30 Colombians playing in the big leagues in, in Europe, whereas Brazil, we're talking, you know, hundreds. And Argentina, obviously, many as well. So I think the Colombia's been quite slow in terms of plays moving abroad, and that may be part of it. As I mentioned, Lionel Alvarez is probably one of the more interesting ones. He's currently with Cerro Porteño, had a very good career in Colombia. Won the league with Medellin twice now, which is very impressive. Not always the strongest side, but he's done very well with them. So he's one to watch, I think. Um, not a uh, pure tactician, but in terms of motivation, he's good. He comes across well. Obviously managed Colombia as well, uh, and has had some issues, but um, he's fantastic one of the hair as well. Ones. Yeah, of course, a massive perm and a <laughs> and a goatee. You know, that's uh, exporting the yeah. Colombian image abroad is always always important. I was, I was start, that also went through my through my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, as I mentioned to briefly review, I think yeah, Colombian players haven't had that much time abroad, and I think they, as we mentioned with Brazilian, maybe they're a bit inward looking. I think that is something whereas Uruguayans as soon as they're good they're off off somewhere else and perhaps more a little bit more open to that uh, and Argentines again looking historically um have a long a strong connection with Europe as well culturally and I think maybe that has an impact as well a lot of Italian influence in Uruguay maybe that's reflected in some of their approach to football as well and where Colombia is a bit more insular perhaps yeah, I think
0: two things come to mind really when when thinking about Colombia's situation is is firstly talking about their great side, sort of the early 90s, late, well, very late 80s, early 90s. And, of course, one of the big actual thinkers in that side, the defender, um, Andres Escobar, you know, was sadly, you know, his life was cut short after the 94 World Cup. And, you know, from everything I've heard and read about him, he, he, of that team, you know, you would probably say that he perhaps... What was one of the ones you would you would think would go on to to perhaps have a decent coaching career um, because you know all of his teammates kind of saw him as as a as a bit of a thinker of the side, no,
1: Simon? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And again, that was a team full of precocious talents who were kind of you know they they came together and were very successful, but you know they weren't really grounded, you know thoughtful in the way that you want to coach. Obviously, Valderrama has an opinion on everything and can be very interesting to listen to. Higuita is a character. But again, these are kind of... They're not people, when you saw them playing, that you would think uh, he's the kind of guy that you can see coming, uh, being coming a good coach. Often the best coaches aren't always the best players, but they're players who are very effective, maybe a little bit more effective than their talent would suggest. Whereas I think these Colombian players were precocious talents... Who who you know lived off their talent in a lot of ways, but yeah, I think Andrés Escobar was yeah more of a grounded, more of a thinker, uh, and you know I think of the group you could see him and Alvarez. Alvarez more of a kind of passionate, committed midfielder who who tactically was strong, uh, whereas Escobar again was the, the 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 thinking man's defender compared to some of the Italian greats as you know as we move up to the ninety four World Cup. He was kind of the one that you could maybe see and would pick up from that squad. Um, some of them have gone into coaching careers, but nobody has been particularly impressive um, from that group, which I think is a shame. Because yeah, that's, these are the high-profile, one of the best teams Colombia's ever produced, and often you look to those big teams to see where you know who the leaders of the future generations can come from, and, and often they've just been pundits or, in Asperia's case, gone on to sell condoms. You know, not necessarily contributing to the. Colombian football uh, as, as perhaps they could have done.
2: If, if anything, stopping the production of future co- coaches.
1: <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Although looking at the Envy Garda youth team, they could definitely use some condoms, man. They've all got kids at 15. Oh, they teach them to play football, <laughs> but man, they, they need to get Esprit in there to give them a quick talk. Actually, maybe not. Maybe keep free away from them um, in terms of influence. But uh, but yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, you know, that fun-loving party vibe from that early 90s Colombia team maybe doesn't reflect or, or produce the best grounded thinkers. But Escobar was definitely one who would have stood out in that group. Yeah.
0: Austin, I, we haven't heard from you for a while, so I, I'll, I'll just come to you on this question. So there in Brazil. Do you think any of the current crop coming through there could make it in Europe? Short
3: answer. No. Long answer with a bit of nuance, potentially. Cheech um, is a name that we've talked about. I think it would be intriguing. Um, Honestly, he's going to have the Brazilian national team job for as long as he wants it. Uh, the revitalization of uh, the Seleção under Cheech has been remarkable when you consider that, you know, in 2016 we were talking, could Brazil actually miss the World Cup? Do they need to appoint a foreign manager? Um, obviously, none of that proved to be true because they ended up running away with South American qualification and were the first team to qualify for the World Cup. And pretty much all of that can be put down to Cheech's influence and his ideas and his ability to man-manage, which I think would certainly make him a candidate for a European job in the right situation. I think he could be successful. Outside Cheech, uh, the manager currently working in Brazilian football, Um, I think one that is intriguing and and one that I would certainly rate a little bit, Tom and I actually talked about him a little bit when we were talking on Sunday recording a spotlight pod, is Fernando Janice at Atlético Paranaense, He's still a long ways away from even being looked at by any potential European clubs, um, but certainly has kind of not necessarily revolutionized Brazilian football. That's uh, by far a bit kind to him, uh, but he's brought in new and fresh ideas. And in a country that doesn't see very many of those managerially, uh, that's kind of nice to see. Um he worked at a very small club in Sao Paulo called Aldax, and in 2016, he actually took Aldax to the uh, Palestown final uh, ahead of Corinthians, Palmeiras, and Sao Paulo. They ended up losing to Santos in that two-legged final, but a really, really successful state league campaign. He kind of floated around the second division for a little bit with West G, wasn't terribly successful, but has actually gotten off to a really good start with Atlético Paranaense. Uh, they're a club that approaches things very differently than most in Brazil. They're the only club in Brazil's top division that don't play the state league with their first team. So that's actually a youth competition for them. uh, While the rest of their state is playing with their professionals, they're playing with their under-23s. And that has allowed Janice to have plenty of time to work. Um, And so in more of a a kind of European environment with a long preseason, that is just not the case anywhere else in Brazil. It's been very successful, just finally lost his first match after, I think you know, four or five months in charge, uh, 12 or so matches against Palmeiras at the weekend. Um, so he's one that I would put kind of like far in the distance. Uh, the other kind of potentially intriguing young managers, um, Colger Machado has been very good at Palmeiras, has them playing football much better than they had been last year. I know that was something you pointed out on the Libertadores podcast this past week, Adam, that Palmeiras looked markedly different than they did last year. Um, he's one that, you know, again, like in the right situation, sure, but I, I don't necessarily see the appeal of a Brazilian manager who could have jobs at the top teams in Brazil. And granted, those are not long lasting jobs, but you kind of can cycle through them and be pretty stably and work, you know, to go over to Europe and have to cut their teeth and probably be in a situation where you're not exactly working in a great squad or a great situation. Um, I will mention uh, Renato Gaúcho at Gremio. Obviously, he led them to the Copa Libertadores, uh, as them playing really good football. Um, I like Renato Gaúcho. I think he's a, he's a fantastic character. I just don't think his kind of act would work with a European squad, or would even work with lesser players. I think what's made him so successful is that he's got a really good squad, and as we know, that's that's not always everything in south america you could have a really good squad but you have to get them to play together and and to his credit he's been able to do that but he's not exactly a tactical mastermind he's not exactly a a great player developer he's really good at taking what he has that's really good and and making it really good um so those are i guess kind of the three biggest names in brazil right now uh fabio Caíli at corinthians is a, a cheech clone um which has allowed him to be successful at Corinthians. But I don't think he's as good of a man-manager as Cheech is. Um, kind of as good tactically, maybe. Uh, so Europe seems a bit distant for him. Um, I can't really think of, of any other name. So Jadio Seni, as I said, has been doing well at Fortaleza. He's still a long way off from working his way back up in Brazil, but I do think he could do that. And his kind of openness, as you said, would lead me to believe that a European job wouldn't be too far out of his reach You know, 10, 15 years down the line. Uh, But those are kind of the biggest names managing in Brazil. Again, patience is an issue here as it is everywhere else in South America. That's hard for managers to kind of get in and, and instill their style of play. Uh, the longest tenured manager in Brazil right now is Mano Menezes, and he took over Cruzeiro in, in 2016. So you know, it's not as though he's had an eternity to instill his style of play.
2: Sorry to jump in here, but there's it'd be a remiss of me not to mention a, a couple more Argentinian names um, for those kind of young youngish managers who who could maybe go on to to do well in Europe. I think the most obvious one, apart from Hollande, is Marcelo Gallardo at River. He's been there almost five years, or four years, or something like that, and he's proven himself to be a really good manager who's won lots of trophies, a very good cup manager as well. Um, who's when he, he's shown that he's quite versatile as well. He's 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 sort of tried a very attacking. Ball, uh, playing styles, but when he's kind of lost the players that allow him to play that, he's also shown a very pragmatic side. So he's one that I'm convinced could do well in Europe, um, and I think um, there's certainly high hopes for Gabriel Einzer, who is right now at Velez, and he's it's it's taken him a while to get things going, but they're now playing some quite attacking football, some very high intensity, um, lots of pressing. And they're beginning to get the results. And he also got Argentinos Juniors promoted um, as champions last year. So his his reputation is, is so impressive. And he, he's got a very distinct style, whereas some of the ex-pros you see, they do well, but maybe they don't have such a an obvious philosophy as, as Heinze seems to. So those those are definitely two, um, as well as maybe Frank Godelka, Diego Dabove. Bove, um, and even Pablo Aymar, who's a, who's involved in the under 17s, um, and yeah, he might not be too young, but Gareca is, is doing a very good job at Peru, um, and he did a great job at Velez as well, and not so much at Palmeiras. But I think he's somebody. If he would who, have
3: been given time, if he would have been given time, we just happened to sack him after like 11 matches. So exactly,
2: classic short termism affects everyone in South America. But yeah, I think Gareca, if he even if he doesn't have the best World Cup, I think. He is someone who could move to Europe if he wanted to um so yeah there, there's there's a few uh, other names to throw out there is, is there anyone in uh, Chile Adam that you think could could maybe make the step
0: yeah there's a there's a there's a couple of uh, names which spring to mind I think um I think if I had to put money on one who might be able to do something it would probably be Mario Salas now he's currently at Sporting Cristal in in Peru and he's done a fantastic job there. Um, they were miles clear in, 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 in their... Well, the Peruvian league's a bit strange as they split it into two parts, but well, in two different leagues. But of the, of the group that Sporting Cristal were in, but they easily won that group and they're playing a, a playoff at the moment. I believe it was 1-1 after the first leg and their favourites to, to win that final. Uh, with home leg to come. So it looks like he's going to pick up another trophy there. Salas led Universidad Católica to back-to-back titles, um, here in Chile in 2016, which is no mean feat. That's something they've never done in their history before, despite being the f- third biggest club here in Chile. But I think the, the thing which really stands out about Salas is that, um, and he's no relation to, to the famous Marcelo Salas, by the way, just point that out. Um, but yeah, the thing that really stands out about Marius Salas is his teams are just so lethal in attack. Um, yeah, I, th- I think his Catholica side averaged like two goals a game in, in 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 his time there, which is which is a pretty impressive record. And um, and he, and he's and he's managed um, similar figures wherever he's gone. Really, um, he started his career at a really really small club here in Santiago called Barna Shea. Um he took them from amateur football up to the professional league and from there he got the Chile under-20 job um, and he did a pretty good job there, taking them, I think, to the quarterfinals of the under-20 World Cup in 2013, I think it would have been. So, yeah, I'd I say that Mario Salas is probably the most promising. And the, the other one, really, I would... I, I would keep an eye on is uh Francisco Bozan. Now I'm just gonna check his age. Yeah, he's he's only thirty-one years old. Um and uh he's a he's a he's a psychologist as uh, as 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 well as uh as well as a head coach, which is quite a decent combination I think, if, if you if you're gonna be managing a group of a group of players. Um and, yeah, he's he's already got years of experience under his belt, despite only being 31 years old. Um, he started in management with, with a couple of really small teams um, a, f- a few years ago. And as a player, he actually picked up some experience uh, with Bournemouth in England uh, back in 2004. So, so he's an example of, of a Chilean player that travelled a little bit, um, albeit... When you know Bournemouth, I think at that time were probably in the, in in league two um, but yeah he he's managed to pick up some experience he finished his playing career early um, through in through injury i believe and, and went into coaching at, at a really young age so yeah he's he's already really on the way up and he's uh, he's another one who who went through Barnahar so uh, he, he's he, he's had a he's had a pretty good trajectory so far here in Chile and at the moment he's the manager of Universidad de Concepción and they are currently second in the Chilean League after 12 games this year the, the Chilean League is, is one long format so usually in past years you know there would only be three games of the season to go but look, this year there's there's three games until they have a break and but there's going to be no title awarded at the halfway point this time, going to have to wait until the end of the year, so they're four points behind Universidad Católica who have won 10 of their 12 games so far it's, a, it's, a, it's it's quite interesting Bozan because he took over Concepcion when they were in mid-table uh, last year and he managed to qualify them for the Copa Libertadores playoffs but as we've, as we've seen and heard uh, on this show um, earlier earlier this year you know they were a bit of a disaster in that playoff against um against Vasco da Gama to get to, to get into the Libertadores so uh, they got thrashed over the two legs but they've recovered well from that like I say and currently lay second in the Chilean league so so yeah the the two names I would say at this stage are probably Francisco Bozan and Mario Salas and um and and the one which I've really disappointed hasn't worked out is probably Nicolas Cordova. Uh he's he's one who you know, he, he spent some time playing in Italy, he got his coaching badges in Italy and when he first started out, um, here in Chile, he, he took over reigns at Palestino and um and he made a really big impact to start with and um and his Palasino side were were really great to watch and uh, and really impressive. And he on the back of that, he, he got a job at Santiago Wanderers. And although he won the Copa Chile with them, um, he managed to relegate them in the same season. And uh, although they managed to beat um, Melgar in the Copa Libertadores this year in the, in the second round of the Copa Libertadores playoffs, um, they couldn't get past the the third round and. Combined with the fact that they were struggling in in the second tier here in Chile, meant that he got sacked, and and at that point he hadn't won a home game in over a year, so his reputation has gone from you know a hundred to zero in the space of about a year, really. So, um, so yeah, so it's a shame it hasn't worked out, but yeah, there's two maybe three names to keep an eye on going forward as. Uh, that's called of it'd be interesting how he bounces back because he, you know, the fact that he did his coaching badges in Italy, you know, he he came with he came with sort of new ideas at first here but they soon faded <laughs> and went away. So yeah. Uh, gonna be interesting to see. Um Simon, is there is there any Colombian up and coming Colombian coaches to keep an eye on? Um,
1: well I don't wanna say no. Uh, <laughs> which kind of gives you the answer, um, that I'm struggling. No, I I mean, as I say, with the league, all of the big teams are coached by foreign managers at the moment.
0: Uh, you yeah, that was, National, a, have that, to- that was a big problem here in Chile as well and, and still is and well, Colo Colo recently appointed another Chilean but I don't particularly rate him. But yeah, generally, you yeah, know, they've been managed by 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 foreign by foreign coaches. Um so well, mainly Argentines, really. Yeah, the the influence on Argentine coaches on Chilean football has been huge. And historically, that's also been the case in, in Colombia, hasn't it? So
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, right now there are four Argentine coaches, uh, Alianza Petrolera, Huila Nacional and Millonarios. Um, and yeah, there's always been a big, big influence of Argentine, obviously national team coach as well as an Argentine. Um, there's, an, there's a Portuguese coach America de Cali. There's two Uruguayans at uh, Junior and Cali, uh, Deportivo Cali. There's a Spanish coach, Ismael Riscalbo, who who is at Envigado, now at Medellin. Um, and, yeah, so there's you know there's a lot of... All of the big jobs that currently have foreign coaches. So it's tricky. Uh, and, you know, of the Colombian coaches, Alberto Gamero has been around for a long time, off and on at Tolima, without being particularly impressive. Envigado are one of the sides that are very organised. Um, but, again, that comes more from the academy and from the philosophies of the club in general as opposed to one particular coach they've currently got Ruben Badogio in charge but he's an older guy been involved with the youth team for a long time but i think the success of Envigado is an indictment to the rest of the league because they get they go they go a long way by being very organized and pressing high and having an organized press and they are they're kids you know they they're, they have some talented players but if they can be so successful particularly away from home just by showing some basic organisation and tactical nows. I think that reflects really poorly in the opposition they face. Um, yeah, it's very difficult to pick out anyone in particular, and I think that's really an issue. Um, a few of the names I mentioned previously, but that aside, I'm looking through. And as I say, there's, there's nobody from the last 20 years who are a major player. Um, Hernandez was a junior. He's now in the second division was a decent player but we're really struggling for names of players in the last 20 years who now are coaches um Colombian players so that's a real big big issue Um, as I say in terms of youth youth sides which is a massive thing in Colombia they have a really good system in place and and the the coaches at these youth sides do well get a big job and, and they only get it for a few months and then they're gone so yeah uh while um Tom has a big long list and while Austin has a few maybes, you have a few interesting candidates, the fact that I'm struggling to pick anyone who is actually Colombian, I think is kind of all I need to say, really. It's it's concerning.
0: And Tom, is there, is there any other sort of names we've perhaps uh, missed out or, uh, that you can think of around the continent?
2: Um, yeah, there's probably a couple um, in Uruguay. Um, Alex Casique Medina um, has just won the league in his in his first season with Nacional. Um bit of a bit of a surprise appointment at first i think he's just promoted from the reserves but they've, they've been very good built on a very solid defensive foundation as as we all know and love from Nacional. but i think they only conceded eight goals in the league um and yeah he's been he's been a bit of a su- surprise how well he's he's done at, over there and i think he's maybe still in his 30s or early 40s at the very least so he's he's one to watch i think um uh, also fabian Coito, who's the who's worked a lot of youth level for the uruguay national team is is probably going to be the long term successor to uh, uh tavares so he he might not really want to go to europe necessarily but i'm thinking he'll be he'll be one that is uh is in the international scene in, in the near future um i think also it'd be interesting to see what uh the venezuelan manager rafael Dudamel, can do i'm, I'm pretty convinced he'll get Venezuela to the next World Cup um for their, for their first time I think so he, he's certainly one to watch and there's a couple of interesting Paraguayans um you've got Celso Ajala, Aldo Bobadilla um in the league do, doing all right there and um Gustavo Morenigo, who I think is now the under seven, Paraguayan under 17s coach but he he did all right um uh, I think he was at Cero and maybe Nacional as well. Um, and he's he, he's a young young guy with some interesting tactics. So, yeah, th- th- there'd be a few that I, I, I'd throw out there.
1: Um, quickly, before we move on, I've got one name to throw out there for Colombia. I wanted to give some hope to to the Colombian football fans out there. Um, Diego Corredor, who is currently coach of Patriotas. Um, they've been doing some interesting things. He's only, what, 36 years old. So he's... Uh, now, a former player of uh former player was assistant for Patriots for a couple of years um has done pretty well with them they've they've become established as a kind of a top half team um participating in the sudamericana you know they they've kind of he's grown with the club as the club become more established had some backing from the board but he's looking quite interesting and they they are a consistent top half side now which is which is a lot of progress and he's been involved in that so yeah, he's one to watch out for. He's looking looking pretty decent. Played 26 games so far. Has had a decent run with a, with a, an interesting growing sign in Colombia. So there you go. At least there's some hope. <laughs> At least there's one Colombian coach under the age of 60 who's perhaps looking quite interesting.
0: OK, it's time to close this part out and I'll come to Tom to see if he's got anything to plug.
2: Yep, you can follow me on Twitter at TomRobo89. Um, we've got a, a Scouting Spotlight pod on Jason Guzman featuring Simon and Austin. Um, so that's available to listen. Um, I've also just got a piece up about Nicholas Benedetti, um, another ex-Scouting Spotlight favourite. So yeah, just keep it, keep it plugged onto my Twitter to uh, see all those and more. And Simon... What do you have for us this week?
1: Yeah, on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Um, doing some tweets on uh, the Colombian League coming to its conclusion. The Women's League as well is coming to its conclusion. We've got this other podcast out around now soon uh, as well, which will be on that, so check that one out. And yeah, also Colombia national team uh, provisional squad will be out on Monday, so I will be probably complaining about certain emissions but we'll see what happens uh looking forward to getting into the world cup chat
0: yeah and from my side you can follow me at adambrandon84 as well as this podcast if you haven't already checked it out then please check out our podcast on women's football in south america um, which was released uh, just before this one so all what's left to say from me is a huge thank you to the guys for joining me once again and a huge thanks to our listeners please rate and review us on itunes if you have the time and it's goodbye